Welcome to Concerning the Spiritual in Art, a podcast exploring spirituality, consciousness, and the creative process. I'm your host, Martin Benson. All right, y'all, welcome back to the podcast. I have a magical episode for you today with Alessandro Keegan, an incredible painter, art historian, writer, and uh, man, this episode will not disappoint, especially to those out there interested in magical and mystical things. Uh, we talk a lot about not only his painting practice and its relationship to like alchemical traditions and esoterica, occultism, but we also talk about just mystery of uh, spirituality and consciousness itself. Um, he spoke about certain uh, experiences that he's had in his life that sort of initiated him to ex experiencing like a bigger state of his own consciousness and sort of opening the doors to these bigger questions that he had about reality that sort of led him down the path that he is on right now. Um, just so many places that this conversation went to is such a beautiful exchange. Um, just so much amazing information that Alessandro has. He's such a scholar in this space. Um, he wouldn't agree to that term, but he just knows a lot and has a lot to offer and um, it was just a really amazing, fun time. Him and I both just had just an incredible time just sharing ideas and talking about these topics that aren't generally talked about in the mainstream. So I think uh, a lot of you out there are going to really be surprised by it, enjoy it, or at the very least, you're going to learn about something magical and new. Um, so here you go, Alessandro Keegan. All right, Alessandro, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you doing today? Hi, Martin. Thank you for asking me to speak with you today. Yeah, for sure. We were talking before uh, Alessandra and I both have newborns at home and we're like, our sleep is on a little minimal, uh, but we're we're happy to have coffee and be here together. And so I feel like it's we're kindred spirits kind of in the same uh, familial boat right now. Um, yeah, but it's, it's good. The sleeplessness will put me in a more liminal kind of consciousness state so <laughs> good man good we'll see what op opens up and where we go because man ever since i've come across your work i've just been so blown away by just the mystical and magical qualities of them they feel so like they feel like almost like alchemical in a lot of ways especially the way your compositions are they feel very intentional very powerful but they also have this flair of, of sheer uniqueness, like all your own, like you're really developing this very beautiful ex expression and unique language in your painting as, you know, stylistically, but I know there's so much more happening in them. And I'm just so curious about sort of how you got into making this kind of work. Like, where did this sort of begin for you in terms of your explorations, not only in abstraction, but in, in sort of these maybe alchemical, magical, mystical kind of feeling that you're bringing into it. Mm, yeah. I mean, I've been making art for a very long time. I began when I was very young. Um, I, I've had a very long journey and it's not like the kinds of paintings, the sort of imagery that you see in my work. It's not like that just kind of sprung up overnight yeah. uh, or came from like some single vision. Um, I think sometimes it, can seem that way when you see an artist present a body of work that seems very fully formed. But, you know, I've been making paintings, um, you know, since I was very, very young. And, um, you know, there's a lot of formative events, I think, when I was younger, uh, that led me in a certain direction with my art. 
I also did not necessarily see myself becoming an artist until maybe I was in my late teens or early 20s or mm-hmm. thinking of that as like a career direction yeah. for myself. You know, when I was younger, if you, you know, if you asked me when I was like, I don't know, 14 or something, what I wanted to do with my life, I probably would have said I wanted to get into science or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think that there was a lot of formative events I can talk about that sort of put me in the direction of uh, questioning a lot of the uh, foundations of the universe and uh, the nature of the human mind. And mm. and that, you know, in some ways naturally leads towards some study of esoterica and related phenomenon and experiences with that. Um, and then it also, you know, leads into the path of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess when I, I think the decision for me um, in my teens to really focus on art, it was because I had had all these, um, experiences that made me curious about the human mind and, um, curious about what was beyond the physical plane, these kind of visionary experiences that I can talk to you about a little bit. Yeah. Um, Is there one in particular that you, that comes to mind that you feel like was really poignant for you as like a direction shifter? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I, I, you know, I had early experiences in my youth that were just very strange or they were bordering on being sort of waking dream experiences. And I've written about these and spoken about these sometimes, and I don't exactly know what those were per se. You know, they were just, I, I talk of them as like slippages or breakages in my day-to-day reality, like I would just see a giant owl in the room and then it would go up into a lampshade and disappear, you know, and these kinds of things. And then um, in my teens, um, you know, as as one does, I started experimenting with psychedelics and, mm. you know, trying a variety of different psychedelics. And um, I think I, I wasn't really into the idea of using drugs as a kind of party or uh, you know, entertainment or recreational kind of thing. It was really this quest that I was already on at that wow. time for exploring my mind. Wow. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing like that. Cause at, at such a young age to kind of like, think about like these substances or these compounds in that kind of way, because I would say a majority of, of kids of that age who are experimenting with any kind of substance or compounds are thinking about it in the opposite way, right? Like to party, to escape, but you're already sort of initiated in some subtle level on this path of like awakening your consciousness or like connecting with like a deeper fabric of reality that's beneath what we're sort of distracted by in the material plane. And so like that to me itself is just like a fascinating anecdote about you because you've been on this for a long time. Like there's something natural about your gravitation into these spaces. And I think it's amazing that you said you kind of wanted to be a scientist at one point. Well, I would say that kind of what, where you've gone in art is like, you're kind of doing that in some other way. Like, it's not like rigorous materialist science, but like you're definitely exploring a science of the mind and the body and the spirit in some way through the creative act, which I find to be just a fascinating thing in and of itself. Oh, I'm good that it comes across that way, actually, because that is what I hope to explore, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I was 
was definitely a, a weird kid for that kind of purpose, <laughs> you know, and I, I, you know, I had some interesting psychedelic experiences. I would say that one that I, I've talked about a lot uh, was a very kind of cosmic vision. I don't want to get into too much detail with it because it, it is a very abstract thing to express, but mm-hmm. um you know, I was at that time already taking psychedelic drugs and I had friends who were also kind of weirdos too and sort of <laughs> outsiders. And so they were kind of cool with this kind of exploration of consciousness and talking about magic and, uh, you know, occultism and, and uh, its relationship to quantum physics and stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and also like, I will say like some of it was to kind of fit in or find a kind of subculture because I was also uh like when I was like 16 by that time you know 17 I was already into very kind of subculture music like mm. um early industrial music like throbbing gristle and that kind of stuff and okay. psychic tv and those kinds of bands <laughs> that were also kind of like a cult and you know and related to chaos magic and stuff and but this one particular vision I would say uh, gave me a kind of, it was this very cosmic, um, you know, I, you and I talked about this term that people use sometimes like a download of information mm-hmm. and it did sort of feel like that kind of download. It's interesting that we use like the technological language, you know, right. to talk about these things that are not technological, but mm-hmm. anyway, it was this kind of download coupled with visual perceptions that were not exactly inside the world that were not exactly before the eye but were kind of inside my mind in a way mm-hmm. and to not get into too much explanation of of that vision it did i think give me some kind of baseline for how i began to perceive the universe after that mm-hmm. um and how i came to understand other kinds of anomalous perceptions, you know, things that didn't quite fit with a a rationalist empirical view of the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like my early start, you know, um, and I did explore that in my art, uh, you know, going into my late teens, early 20s, I went to college at SUNY Purchase, um, which was actually for a, a state college, it actually had a really great art program. And cool. Uh, you know, I met a lot of cool artists there who are still practicing artists today, actually. Um, it was a very good program. And I began to sort of explore these ideas of, you know, the empirical world not being quite what it seems. But, you know, here's the thing. It's like the the kind of imagery that you see in my work today, these sort of alchemical vessels and crystalline forms and mm-hmm. orbs and circles and and eggs and stuff like that these sorts of abstract but also um translucent or voluminous kind of forms in my work that you know that was kind of there at the beginning but it hadn't fully formed mm-hmm. you know um that kind of language in painting is the product of you know experiences and thoughts and experimentations with painting you know, for the past like 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Right. It doesn't just like happen, like you were saying earlier, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's kind of like this journey toward what you're making now. And like everything that you were exploring in your past kind of like led you to sort of distilling 
these ideas or these visions or these imageries and expressions down to what they are right now. And it's like, and I think that will continue to happen as you continue to paint for more and more time. Like they'll continue to find new ways of expressing themselves in ways that like you can't fully comprehend in this moment. But that, that to me is the art, the journey of a, of a true artist is that you're constantly like pushing and evolving the way that you're trying to communicate through paint, through imagery and um and form and so to speak like i remember when we were on the phone the other day just to kind of chat and get to know each other a little bit before we're right here on the podcast we were talking about just sort of the limitations of language itself like even thinking about the psychedelic space like you can never fully express this vision that you had that cosmic vision through language at all like you can touch on it a little bit or you can allude to it but like no words or arrangement of sounds could ever fully embody the totality of what that experience was like. And um, that's why I think painting is such a magical, beautiful process, because it's creating a, a new kind of language that might be able to penetrate past some of the walls or barriers that linguistics can't necessarily because of shared information or agreed upon terms or what have you. So I find that to be a very interesting component to your work too, because you are communicating very strongly, but without using words, maybe in titles, but the image itself is, is, is in initiating a new form of communication as is all painting, especially abstract painting, because it's, it's a challenge for a lot of people to be yeah. able to see. But if you, if you've seen enough art and you've been in this path for long enough and you look at some of the work you're making you can see how highly intentional and thoughtful these forms that you developed are and the way that you arrange them compositionally one thing i'm curious about is in terms of how you compose your images are you referencing or influenced by like older like alchemical like diagrams or geometric glyphs or sacred geometry or things of this nature like how does that kind of play into some decision making within the painting you do yeah um you know that's a great question actually and and very well put i think that you know art is really to fill in these gaps that language can't quite fill um but i i think that's a very important question because sometimes you know when you say that the work of art was inspired by some kind of a uh, experience that you had while in meditation or a psychedelic experience, um, there's this assumption that it's somehow you visualize these mm -hmm. things in your mind and then you're translating those as if, you know, some, some, something, you know, um, <laughs> some, Here's your you know, painting right here, do it. <laughs> yeah. Psychedelic drugs, like produce it like some AI program, you know, and you just instantly have an image there to, to photocopy onto your canvas. Um, but Really, the kinds of experiences that I have, uh, both in sober meditation and psychedelic experiences when I was younger and these kinds of things, um, these kinds of experiences also hardly find a language in the visual either. Mm -hmm. So I do have to look at everything around me in order to find something that resonates with yes. that experience. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you know, when I look at alchemical manuscripts like the Splendor Solace or something where there's those vessels and there's like a bird turning red inside mm -hmm. of it, you know, those do speak to me on some kind of intuitive level. 
Um, also, tarot cards are something that I use as a way of of kind of activating that allegorical language mm-hmm. inside of myself, yeah. just to kind of meditate on. Yeah. Um, and other symbols, you know, around me, cultural, from um, literature and so forth, also have informed the kind of work that I've created. And um, something that's probably central to my work, uh, an image that appears in every one of my paintings now, is this orb that's either an egg or it's some kind of circular form. Uh, it looks maybe like an eye or a crystal mm-hmm. ball or some or some kind of you know gemstone, uh, the kind you would see set into medieval reliquaries or something mm-hmm. like that. This perfectly. Yeah polished liquid gem dewdrop mm-hmm. kind of crystal uh that first started entering into my work in some form um almost 10 years ago wow while i was uh working and this might surprise some people who don't know me uh, for a brief period of time i had to work as a diamond grader at the gemological hmm. institute of america oh wow uh, which seems like a strange career shift but you know i was had to find work. And so that's, that's the life of an artist right yeah, there. Y'all. Exactly. It's just, this is what we do. And, we and they, you know, they way. paid me while I was getting training there. So, yeah. you know, I could, I could get, that's you know, nice. paid and get trained. And then I would work in a lab in the dark and I'd be looking at diamonds under a microscope. And cool. it was, it was what it was. I didn't like that job. Sorry, <laughs> Gemological Institute of America. But, um, you know, I've moved on since then, but it was fascinating to look at these gemstones on a microscopic level to see what was inside of them. A lot of times within those stones will be other crystals. So you'll be looking into a diamond and then you'll see this little blood drop kind of form floating inside of it. And that'll be a garnet inclusion in the center. Wow. Yeah. And they're these really kind of beautiful. And sometimes I would like, you know, turn to my coworkers and say, oh, it looks like a, a Roberto Mata painting inside. And they'd be like, who's that? I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, so I was doing that job. And I think it was during that time that I began, and I was, you know, already thinking about mysticism and its relationship to my art. But I think it was during that time that I began to think of the crystal or the clear form as uh, a way of physically capturing that which is invisible mm. or intangible. Mm-hmm. And so when you see that form, yeah, it comes from me working as a diamond grader and it comes out of that, but it actually, it's not directly related to my old job. It's because in that form, I saw a way of capturing light, um, a kind of ineffable atmosphere, something that uh, is, um, you know, non-physical condensed into a f- this physical vessel that's totally yes. clear and transparent. Yes. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, because when I think about like crystalline structures too, like I think about them in that similar way. Like they are some sort of like gateway in some sense to like uh, and if you want to use a scientific term, some kind of like quantum, like non-linear space of energy of light uh, that is permeating all of the cosmos all the time. But I also think about just like from a 
um, mathematical perspective, like the geometries of those molecules. And then underneath that, the atoms, like just how perfect the symmetries, the geometries, the balancing of like all those crystalline structures underneath them as being almost like a power grid mm. of like being able to not only capture, but transmit um, light in and of itself. I just find them anytime I go into like a crystal shop or jewels, there's this place I live in New Orleans and mm. there's this place. It's like this one of the most like fancy, expensive antique stores you've ever been to in your whole life, like multi-million dollar jewels and paintings and like micro mosaics that are like $900,000, like just the most insane, exquisite, like kind of craftsmanship and materials that you could find um, in the city. And they have these gems in there and I'll go in there just to look at them. Like you're looking at like a uh, I don't know how many carrots, but a giant like yellow topaz or whatever. And it's just like, it's mind-blowingly beautiful. And I love the way that you incorporate it into your work, but I also love that you're using it almost as a symbolic device to point to a transcendent ineffable space that is beyond or contained so deeply underneath the material experience that we can't perceive it. Um, I think that's just like make, now like thinking about your work and looking at it now, like I can't wait to go back and look at it again <laughs> and sort of see where these jewels are placed and sort of how you're using them. But it makes perfect sense to me because if you look at like any sort of history, you mentioned like medieval reliquaries or like, I remember I went to uh, to London once and we got to see the crown jewels and like looking at these jewels, like they're obviously used for a some kind of power, whether it's just the beauty and material wealth, but I think there's an esoteric or um, sort of subtler energetic spiritual power to these forms, which is why they've been so, um, I don't know, sought after mm. and cared I mean, for. Absolutely. I mean, uh, John D used a scrying, well, he used a scrying black mirror, but he also used uh, scrying crystals uh, you know, they, you know, people, the cliche is looking into a crystal ball, you mm -hmm. know, and, and of course, like crystal shops, you know, that have different energies to them is kind of a cliche of the new age. Yeah. But this is a very ancient thing that exactly. gemstones are used to give this kind of magic aura to things because of that uh, aesthetic property that they have, the way they bend light, move mm -hmm. light. I always found that fascinating also working uh, GIA that one of the features of um, of a diamond in, in specific, it's it's one of the only crystal forms that doesn't bend light. So hmm. light actually just passes through it like glass. Wow. But most gemstones actually have some kind of refractive quality where they split mm -hmm. light. But I, I'm, I was just like baffled that this solid matter form interacts with this kind of um, ineffable, you know, intangible, um, you know, particle wave, uh, thing that is called light, you know, mm -hmm. it was just so, so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, John D uses the crystal for scrying. Actually, I think in the British museum, they have like the tiny crystal orb that he mm -hmm. used to wow. divine with and so forth. And, and it's many other examples throughout history yeah you see it yeah in all sorts of cultures even yeah. in the east um i mean it's it's unbelievable but i think what's so fascinating like about like light itself and like 
the you mentioned like particle wave like there's so many mysteries that like even now like where we can confront from a materialist point of view like even like the most staunch materialist scientists can can't help but admit the fact that they just don't know what's going on when they think about quantum physics like it was such a mystery to us like and i think consciousness seems to be like the key to maybe unlocking these mysteries if we focus on the nature of consciousness itself and like what that is and i think science is definitely diving into that i mean that's the big question in science is is the nature of consciousness especially in relationship to the brain and you have like the brain being either like an antenna, a receiver of consciousness, which is always pervading the entire cosmos at all times, or it's a generator of consciousness. So consciousness begins with the brain and ends with the brain. I I think about the latter of them just based on my own experiences, um, seeing how consciousness is sort of in everything, even in I know how odd this might sound to a lot of people out there, but inanimate objects, essentially, you know, like there's consciousness and all of it. And so that's something that me personally, I'm super fascinated by. And I think these esoteric traditions are sort of exploring consciousness in these incredibly scientific ways, um, even though we might not want to call it that. Is there any, um, is there any sort of like, tradition within like sort of like the occult or the esoteric sort of lineages that you feel is like super fascinating to you or any figures that like really have just like exploded your mind and got you thinking in new ways in relation not only to like your art but just life itself yeah i you know i don't um i'm one of those people who's like i don't really belong to any group or have any particular religious affiliation or occult affiliation i've sort of uh been fascinated by all of it and mm-hmm. i find in a lot of different um schools of thought uh you know different kinds of things that inspire me or, or interest me um you know a little bit of theosophy a little bit of uh chaos magic and so mm-hmm. forth but I don't, um, I don't really subscribe to any one particular worldview. Um, but that said, like there, there are certain questions that each of these uh, groups, these kind of occult groups, raise that I do find very interesting. I would say though that you know, if I had to say what my perspective was formed by, um, <laughs> I do think that you know as a young person being into that kind of like early industrial kind of subculture kind of stuff, I do think, um, you know, chaos magic. I I know it sounds, it's the most edgiest sounding kind of thing (laughs) in the world, but the, the general philosophy behind chaos magic, which is a kind of almost scientific approach to occultism Mm -hmm. or this kind of experiment, you know, uh, you know, testing a hypothesis kind of approach to occultism did form a lot of my approach to um, understanding my own mind or, or trying to, I don't want to say channel, but try to um, uh, negate my own authorship sometimes in creating art, uh, to try to practice my own sort of mediumistic art practice yeah. at times. I yeah. think a lot of that came out of that, uh, like, you know, books like Liber Null, for, for instance, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of chaos magic, like tradition. 
Um, yeah. which I know it sounds very weird. Like people think chaos magic and it sounds like something like, you know, scary. Remember but... these are words, right? Like <laughs> yeah, words exactly. do not define the thing. Again, back to yeah. no definition. And then I would say, you know, yeah. one of the occult writers, not so much as an artist, but more as like a thinker who influenced me a lot, especially early in my life was, um, Austin Osmond Spare, mm-hmm. uh, who was an early mediumistic artist, 1900s 19 teens uh he predates surrealism but he did a lot of automatic drawing kind of stuff Mm. that is similar to surrealism and um he and speaking of language actually he had this concept of what he called neither neither like Mm. neither this or neither that uh and it was um approaching one's art without any kind of names or definitions for the things Mm. that you're representing or forming so that kind of uh and he was also er involved in early like occultism like he Mm. knew alistair crowley and stuff like that and so i think like that kind of thread um has influenced me though maybe not so much today i kind of am off on my own trip now but yeah you know i think early on that was very formative for me well i think that's what's amazing is like that because of the world we live in now like we have access to so much knowledge and information about these traditions or these practices or these figures uh, mm. within these traditions that, you know, you predating the internet, you might've had a lot harder time doing it. You probably would have had to fly over to England and go to some library down in the, you know, look at old books, or you'd have to, you know, really work hard, but now we can like really access it all. But I think what's exciting about it is it's like, I think evolution is sort of seems to be the thumbprint of like everything happening. Like everything wants to like continue to, become more novel and evolve and grow and find new forms of expression. And I think what we're seeing now maybe in this era is like spirituality, mysticism, magic, like are coming back and they're, and maybe they're trying to find a new foothold, a new expression in the modern world in this hyper technological age, which I, I contemplate that a lot, like what that looks like. And um, when you mentioned like the neither this nor neither that, I immediately thought of like there's a um, a sort of Advaita Vedanta philosophy practice, which is like the non-dualist philosophy tradition within Hinduism, and they have this practice called neti neti. It's like not this, it's not that, it's not you know what I mean. Like you do this meditation where literally you're negating everything as not being the thing you're looking for, and I guess the point is eventually it all falls apart almost like maybe like a Zen koan, like eventually it just breaks the intellect. It breaks the mind in such a way that it opens it to another level of, of thinking. And Mm. I think that idea is very important to me personally, is this notion of like never feeling like you fully got it. Like, because it's just the second you think you fully understand something or you're fully like integrated with whatever, like, something's going to happen to be like, nope, and knock you off your high horse. And I, so I think staying in this place of like wonder and curiosity and exploration um, and openness is such a more healthy place to be. And I think as artists, like that's, I think where the rubber meets the road is continued to be in these spaces of open questioning and exploration while at the same time, like feeling like we're evolving and growing and becoming more connected to a grander level of our being, so to speak. Um, And I definitely can see like just hearing you talk and seeing your work, 
like I see that you're genuinely and authentically like on that path, which is such a beautiful thing to witness because it's inspiring for me because I think we're all in that boat together trying to figure out what this mystery of life is. And especially in, I feel like the times we live in now where everything is becoming so focused on materialist and uh, technological ends that seeing someone who's oil painting and making these incredible pieces, like getting back to just like sort of basic materials is just for me, very inspiring. Something that I do also personally as an artist, it's like mm -hmm. the more we get in technology, I'm not a Luddite, but like we need to also go back to like slowing down and trying to like rehash some maybe old practices or traditions and find new evolutions in them. Absolutely. Do you think about, yeah, you think about that as well? Yeah. I, I think that's a great way to put it actually, that painting is a kind of slowing down mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I went through a period where I was making more automatic drawings or allowing these kind of quick accidents to happen and responding to that. And I think that that's, a fine approach to allowing indeterminacy in the universe to work through your art. But the kind of painting that I've been making for the last five or six years or so uh, is a lot more controlled mm -hmm. um, and a lot more methodical. And my reason for doing that wasn't necessarily to have control over it or to um, you know, make this kind of rigid parameter for my work. There still is a lot of moments of, you know, coincidence and accident that happen. Mm -hmm. It was more to slow down. Yeah. I wanted the paintings to go slowly for me so that the big gap in, in finishing like one big gradient of gray in the background <laughs> of one of my paintings in that gap of time, however long it takes eight hours or 10 hours for me to blend it perfectly there would be so much going on within my mind. I would kind of be able to step back from the work and and have this kind of experience of mm. like almost eternity in that moment of doing yes. it. So, so the slower I painted, the more methodically I painted, the more I felt um, some kind of, you know, that invisible area within me was being, you know, fed or, or nourished yes. you know, by the practice. Um, and then, you know, going back to technology, this is interesting, like, it does seem like it hasn't become a, um, a full blown art world trend or phenomenon necessarily that like, occult art is back or something like that. Yeah. Not that it ever was here, you know, but you know, <laughs> yeah, occult art underground. is underground. Right. <laughs> you know, it's always been kind of at the edges. Yeah. But I do feel that more so in the last maybe five to 10 years or so. I have been seeing some inklings of art that is not quite figurative, not quite abstract. It's drawing upon either transcendentalist ideas, transcendentalist painting or spiritualism or occultism, or there's, if not even that, if it's a little bit more um, kind of uh, secular or, or mm -hmm. um, empirical or something. Maybe it's at least interested in the mind or the realm of dreams as the surrealists were. Yeah. I've been seeing that emerging more and more uh, in the art world. Um, it's kind of interesting to me and, and maybe a, a relief to me in a way, because I've been sort of making that kind of work forever. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's like kind of vindicating. I'm like, oh, you see, my work has a context. Finally. Yeah. yeah. You know, right? but yeah, no, that's kind of how it feels. But at the same time, I'm wondering if, you know, this 
is a, a, a kind of um, an indication of something that's happening on a larger scale uh, in society. Maybe it's a side effect of, uh, you know, global phenomenon that we've passed through, you know, COVID, of course, there's been, you know, terrible wars going on over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and or if it is a side effect somehow of technology and how technology, especially information technology, uh, has become more and more integral to our lives. Uh, it's also replaced a lot of things that happened um, in the kind of physical space, you know, like we're talking on Zoom now. Right, exactly. Sitting in a room together, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and one thing that I have thought is that, you know, perhaps, at, you know, especially during COVID, as we've been living more in a kind of technological world, we are becoming less physical as beings. You know, mm-hmm. I know this might sound like I'm going out, but, but no, that, not at all. that in um, immaterial side of ourselves yes. that kind of floats the ghost that's in the shell, you know, is, <laughs> is activated a little bit more yeah, um, because we're existing so much in this kind of ethereal realm you know i wonder if that's part of it i don't know exactly but it could be a combination of all these things and um because i'm noticing exactly what you're noticing too that there is some kind of shift happening and i think there's so much instability in our sort of culture and our planet right now especially depending on like what you have access to i mean i'm sure there are people who live in the middle of nowhere who have no tv who are doing just fine you know listening to the birds and growing their food and just living off the grid and doing that but yeah it's a a very western american centric perspective i i acknowledge that you know for sure but it is it is the world that we especially us and probably a lot of whoever's listening to this they probably have a phone or a computer you know yes um they have access to technology like that we're dealing with. And I think uh, it's bringing up a lot of existential questions, especially in the face of like climate disasters that are happening or in the face of what happened with COVID or political upright, you know, upheaval and wars and so speak, like people are turning within more wanting to understand what's beyond all this craziness that obviously we have no control of. Um, So I think that could be a part of it as well. I don't know. I find that there is more of a ripeness within culture to be more open to ideas that are, are, you know, that have been there for a long time, but have been sort of underground or taboo, especially with like psychedelics. You look at psychedelics that are being talked about on the mainstream news right. as being therapeutic. Like, hey, you're having a midlife crisis? Go take a psilocybin journey, you know, <laughs> or whatever. You know, maybe not that like overt, but like you, I think you understand what I mean. It's like all these things are happening. And so I think it's a beautiful time of a possibility. At least this is how I look at it in my mindset is like, although there's so much suffering and difficulty and questions about the viability of our future that within all of that, there is such immense possibility to maybe build something new. And I think uh, what art can do is maybe help us ask these questions so we can dive deeper or they can inspire us. It can inspire us to maybe like take a chance on a new idea um or explore a new feeling yeah i mean it just it feels so interesting to me um you know like i was aware of artists like agnes pelton and hilma offklint 
like back when I was in college, but they, you know, had not been exhibited very mm -hmm. widely. You know, Agnes Pelton was just kind of this, uh, you know, beautiful. And, and I love that their art has emerged into the mainstream, but I also, I'm still kind of like amazed that it has, that those artists have now started to become, you know, very central to uh, a lot of contemporary art that I see, especially Hilma Ofklint, I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, who's also been on my mind because I've been reading <laughs> Julia Voss's uh, biography. I'm like, oh, cool. Finished that. I want to read so that. Oh, it's man. excellent. Uh, yeah. She definitely does amazing research. But so I've been reading that. So I think that's kind of in my mind here. And there's a lot of reasons for these artists to be in the zeitgeist right now uh, that I find, you know, are equally important. It's not just all about occultism. It's mm -hmm. a whole kind of revision of, you know, the idea of modernism and um, women artists who had been excluded in the mm -hmm. past, especially, you know, Hilma Ofklint, who's, you know, going to the Academy of Arts at a time that's very, you know, sexist towards women in the arts mm -hmm. at that time. Um, and then there's, you know, the questions of early abstraction and so forth. Um, and and that's actually another thing that I find interesting is it it's almost a re reversal back to the original intentions of modernism and abstraction that I yes. see with a lot of art today. You know, if you look and there's that Tate exhibit at uh, the Tate in London yes. that just happened recently, right? And it's off Clint and Modrian, uh, but you know, you can say Modrian. You can look at uh, Kandinsky, of course. You know, a lot of these artists were reading theosophy. They yep. were going to seances, yep. you know, August Strindberg, channeling, you know, um, and it's almost as if the original intentions of modernism were to kind of open up uh, human consciousness, were to kind of do away with these sort of definitions of forms mm -hmm. and find these new abstract languages to kind of yes. talk about the nature of reality. And maybe that I'm just saying like, that's one of the many reasons why artists like Agnes Pelton and Hilma Ofklint and these artists who were kind of occult or too mm -hmm. mystical early on to be in the history books have started to reemerge. It's because they're offering a new language and a way to kind of revisit that project of early yes. abstraction again. Yeah. Because it, I feel like it got kind of hijacked by like, a, a more of like a rationality of abstraction. Mm. I think of like Clement Greenberg and mm -hmm. like the way that like modernists, like painters were being sort of defined through just pure form and visual perception, but like kind of like didn't talk about all the other things that are beyond behind perception, yeah. which is consciousness. And, and then, and this idea of like maybe potential other worlds or spaces where these things are coming through i mean you mentioned like even when you're painting like you don't say it outright as like you know channeling but like you're trying to be a vessel for like some kind of energy beyond your own individuated ego to move through you to create something of value for for others in like a in that beautiful sort yes. of sentiment way I, I feel the same way like I don't know how to explain it, but like when you're in the states of flow, states of pure presence, where you're kind of emptying your whole vessel and just letting what's happening come through you, decisions are made like that, you know, like intuition, and you're, a problem comes up, you just don't even think you solve it, you know, you don't ruminate on it too much, 
I mean, there are times when I'm sitting in there ruminating a long time about how do I solve it, but there are those magical times where it just seems like the painting just painted itself. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that well, way. Well, no, and that gets into like, you know, another thing about early modernism is, uh, you know, another influence of mine and an art school of thought that I love in the early 20th century is surrealism. Mm -hmm. And the surrealists are all about these kinds of games for removing the self from the art or um, or they're practicing automatic drawing, sometimes seances outright, mm -hmm. you know, doing these kind of hypno self-hypnosis or channelings. Um, but the frustration I have with um, surrealism and, you know, and there were some critics at the time that kind of criticized this, like I think like Georges Bataille criticized this in surrealism as well, the writer. Um, but, you know, it's that... Um, you know, the surrealists kind of like purged the mythos from that work, the mythological mm. kind of Jungian archetypal element from it and replaced it more with a kind of Freudian psychological yep. interpretation, oh, yes. which is, you know, that's fine. That's one model of the universe. For sure, right. You have, you know, I have my issues with Freudian. Yeah, it's reductive, models. you know, exactly. and, you know, and a lot of, <laughs> his things have been criticized. A lot of his statements have been criticized, but you know, like the, the, the surrealists though, were tapping into something very true though. Mm -hmm. They were getting into that mystical territory yeah. of allowing maybe another consciousness. And I can talk about like what I think about the idea of entities being channeled by artists as well. Cause I've, I've written yeah. on mediumistic art and stuff like that. Yeah. And I feel like the surrealists were doing that, but then also kind of putting up this wall of like, oh no, it's the subconscious. It's the right, exactly. material mind, you know? And yep. Trying to just, trying to like not go, go there because it's so hard to go there that they just write it off or they just put it in this simple little box of, yeah, the, yeah. the subconscious, like, there you yeah. go. But like, um, that's why like, I, I love that you mentioned Carl Jung and, and Freud, because I always look at that like relationship and then that split between those two schools of thought, um, just to be a really fascinating point within uh, Western culture. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, in terms so. of how the Freudian sort of ideology ideas kind of took over um, in most ways. I mean, you of course, you have the Jungian collective unconscious the archetypes we see that a lot in art and writing we see it throughout time in mythology i always love joseph campbell and his ability to kind of like look at mythology across the planet through the lens of carl jung um but when i think about my own experiences uh, mystical experiences you know lucid dreams psychedelics deep states of meditation or spontaneous just insights or spontaneous openings or whatever i don't know what you whatever whatever you want to call it mm. um they do speak to this like kind of universal space of you know that could be like the collective unconscious like where all of these like or like i think in uh, indian or hindu culture like the akashic mm. records or the space where like all time is logged all information all ideas all everything that could ever be is like logged there and like we yeah. can access those those spaces too through altered states of consciousness yeah. but i or find like that to the, be an uh, interesting place or like the idea of the pleroma in like gnostic thought that it's exactly like full fullness of everything and yeah um you know it's an interesting thing about carl jung also is that he was conflicted within himself mm -hmm. you know his 
his writings uh, that were published are bordering on the mystical, but they're still very couched in clinical psychology. And then you have like the red book, which yes. is like personal visions, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's My interesting. Like, the red book. Uh, um, amazing for- art also. Oh, I love his paintings. Oh dude. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's interesting that he has that conflict. I would say that, you know, I, I am familiar with the idea of the Akashic record and I find that interesting that there's this kind <laughs> of universal ocean that, we're all kind of drops, droplets that have emerged from that universal uh, ocean. And that's kind of why we have access to the, you know, the completeness of all experience. Um, And there is this kind of um, almost a kind of um, sense that sometimes, you know, when you do encounter something in a work of art, you do sometimes when it's happening right, there is this kind of feeling of almost like, deja vu or familiarity mm-hmm. yes even though you're seeing something new you feel like you saw it already mm-hmm. at some time and i wonder yes. if it isn't like some thing that like all these things have already happened in yes. time and you're just kind <laughs> of like you pulled it from that uh you know eternity you know yes um oh, what and- an amazing thought i mean I've, <laughs> I've, I've talked about that with some friends of mine before because i i know exactly what you mean but continue continue yeah no and this actually goes towards something i i was actually just saying to someone recently i i have this um feeling about art itself the creation of art that um you know, a lot of times people try to put art into categories based on its historical period. And also like, you know, I forgot to mention this, but I'm an art history teacher at, uh, you know, City University of New York uh, colleges. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of have to talk to students about art history in this kind of linear way where it's broken into periods of history and so forth. But the more I teach art history and the more I study it, the more I've actually come and and practice painting myself, the more I've come to see art as originating from a place outside of time. Mm. Um, And what I mean by that is that um, it's, it's kind it's created in a place that's not really subject to future or past. I know that sounds very weird, but I, I think also it's, it's because, um, Time is very related to material uh, constraints. Time exists because things are born and they die, they're created and then they decay. And um, art, even though a material object like a painting certainly has a birth and a death, the actual experience of its creating is somewhere not in that physical realm. So yes. that's that's kind of my my feeling about why it seems to be coming out of this eternity, yes. this ocean of eternity somewhere. Yeah, it's outside you know. of time. It's outside yeah. of time because I feel like when you're when you're really deep, deeply immersed in the studio in the creative act, you are aligning yourself with the creative force of everything that is and has been or will be in some way. Like I think that is in a lot of times like our thread of connection back to the original cause or source, whatever we want to call it, if there is one, I mean, we could have a discussion around just that idea itself, but like the creative act intentionally, you know, channeling and making something, putting your time, your energy, your skill, 
um, into something is like, is aligning you with this creative force that is outside of time. Yes. Time is a linear construct related to actual cycles itself. Mm -hmm. And so like the only reason, you know what I mean? Yeah. We have birth and death, but then we also have rebirth because you just watch the seasons cycle through something dies, like a seed dies in the ground. Then all of a sudden it's born again as the the next tree, so to speak. And so we see this cyclical quality in everything that is natural in its form. But we uh, we attribute onto like a cyclical system, a linear construct of time is moving one directionally. And so I, I sometimes think that, no, we can go back in time as much as we can go forward in time. Like we can step outside of it at the same moment as well. And so even just the construct of time itself is a fascinating one. I know I can imagine you probably felt this too in certain uh, mystical states or experiences where you step into the eternal space outside of time. And it is the most visceral knowing space of, I can't explain it. Like the, and the only reason, you know, you're back in time is because like all this, it's just like a switch. You just, yeah. do you know what I'm talking about? Like when you've, when your consciousness has stepped outside of or any relationship with time, even if just for a moment, it's like one of the most incredible feelings. I think I have, I think I have experienced something like that. Uh, that's, you know, again, it's a very subjective experience. Right. You know, I don't know if I experienced your experience exactly, exactly the yeah. same way, exactly. but I've definitely had experiences both in meditation and then also taking psychedelics where it seems as if you see the whole of time at once. Mm. Uh, you can feel infinitely forward and infinitely back. Yes. So in that sense, yes. Um, and I think, you know, what you're talking about, that wheel or like Dharma or whatever you want to call it, it is cyclical, but I also think that there is a space outside of that wheel, you know, outside yeah. of mm -hmm. that cycle. Yeah. And somehow art connects us with that. It links us with that. I don't know how or why yeah. you know or yeah. why that 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 um droplet you know i always think of things as like liquid you know flowing <laughs> you know that's my metaphor also in my yeah. paintings stuff. yeah but I, I don't know why that droplet has to leave time and then come into this fleshy body in, mm -hmm. you know a material space i don't exactly know why that's the way that it chooses to you know express itself but you know, but here that we are. Seems to you be, know? Here we are. Yeah. Know? No, it um, is. It is. It is a very mysterious. And when you look at like ancient history and various religious or spiritual traditions who speak on these things, um, there's some interesting ideas in there about like why this human experience exists or this material experience exists. Um, in some sense, it's almost like the the universal one individuated itself broke out, out of broke itself into a bunch of pieces in order to know itself again mm. the back as a whole or some kind of like i feel like it's all everything is just like a big inhale and exhale it's like yeah i mean i've heard that perspective expressed i think that's very plausible that there is this kind of creation that has created all of this or this essence that has created all of this as a way of experiencing itself yeah or to mitigate its isolation I would say that, you know, and also as someone who's like written on other artists who've practiced mediumistic art, so they're claiming that a spirit or some kind of like entity, entity or force yeah. possesses them or works through them, uses their hands 
uh, or their words to create something or transmit a uh, message. Having looked at a lot of those examples, I can't say, you know, assuming that their experiences are valid, taking that at face value. Right, exactly. Their subjective experiences are valid and not just psychological or, you know, hallucinated or something. Uh, taking that at face value, I can't say for certain myself, you know, and and I don't, what do I know about anything? But, you know, having looked at all of this, I can't say myself whether those forces that seem to communicate through artists or or mediums or channels, whether they are actual entities or intelligences outside of the physical realm or outside of time, or whether those are other aspects of yourself or of your mm -hmm. own soul. Yeah. Um, you know, I think of the ancient Egyptians, uh, and there's a lot of other religions that have this belief, but the ancient Egyptians believed your, your soul had like several different parts. I think it was like three or four different parts, you know, the Ka and the Ba, and then there's these other different aspects of it. And I think that that is a very plausible, yeah. uh, theory of how um our interactions with seemingly you know angels or spirits or whatever you think it is are actually happening that you might have several different selves or mm -hmm. souls if you prefer you know existing in multiple places outside of here wow. and every now and then they like talk to the the one that's in this vessel yes. here you know oh, and man. or or work or just kind of dive into this body you know um so I think that's very possible that, you know, what you might interact with, and this kind of goes towards, you know, the, you know, your conception of God or Pleroma or the the all, you know, um, whether that is actually a separate creator intelligence or whether you're just an aspect of that or a fragment mm -hmm. from that, you know, yeah. very possible. You know, exactly, I, man. I think I mean, all I those things are possibilities, but I don't know, you know, yeah. I think it's very cool to think about you know definitely a, i don't know yeah. either man it's it's super like what you're talking about with like the um the egyptian cosmological perspective of, of yeah. like the soul having multiple parts to yeah. it like sometimes i have that that feeling or that thought or i contemplate that idea too that like there's a part of my consciousness or soul or spirit or whatever that is existing on various planes of consciousness or dimensions all at the same time I'm particularly accessing this one right now, but in state and dream states, you can access or communicate with like those different parts or mystical states. Like there can be a, a cross communication happening. I don't know either. I, I know it's super vast and mysterious. And I know that the, whatever the material philosophy is, that's sort of like guiding the uh, principles of this planet right now in the Western culture, like uh, they there's, there's a, something missing. There's yeah. definitely a piece of this puzzle missing. And I think that's what we are as artists, as thinkers, as people engaging intentionally with these ideas. We're trying to trying to uncover what those missing pieces are and express our searching, our longing, our expression of, of seeking through our art making and through the way we write or the way we communicate, the way we just live our lives um, in and of itself. But it's it's definitely what makes life very interesting for me and exciting. And I, and it gives, it gives it a sense of, of magic because if you'd understood every component to reality as it was at face value, like 
I feel like uh, that would be a really tough life to live. Wonder and mystery and majesty, magic. That is where, for me, like the juice of life is. That's what makes it so engaging and exciting um, to be a part of. And um, I don't know if we'll ever figure it out. And I think maybe that's part of the journey too. It's evolving. Like when I was talking earlier about like the cycles, I've seen also it illustrated like a spiral. You know, Mm -hmm. we see the spiral form the you know um we see the nautilus everywhere in nature you know so it's like yeah it's sight it's cyclical but it's moving somewhere you know what i mean it's spiraling in a direction both forward and back in some way so maybe even looking at cycles as like spirals of time is kind of interesting in and of itself too it does feel like we are moving somewhere somehow yeah I don't exactly know where. I hope it's a good direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know where, but I will say like, you know, um even the preoccupation with artificial intelligence right now, I'm I I find artificial intelligence interesting. I'm not anti-technology. I'm a little disappointed with how AI art looks. I think it kind of looks terrible mostly, but um <laughs> you know, no, it's true. Unfortunate. But it's just interesting to me. It's enough that that's where we want to go somehow or where those who are generating technology, those working in those fields, yeah. you know, incredibly, you know, intelligent and industrious and ambitious people are moving towards that direction. I find yeah. interesting it because to make something to make something like artificial intelligence, you have to understand what the human mind is to begin with mm-hmm. you know to make something that generates art you have to understand what the soul is in order mm-hmm. to generate art so how are we going to use science or technology to understand those things yeah now will we ever get there is this just kind of like chasing smoke or something i yeah. don't know yeah um but that quest which seems to be the the quest of human technology right now is interesting to me yeah um and maybe that is taking us somewhere in some spiral towards you know what some people call the singularity but yep. maybe it's something other that we don't quite know yet you know yeah exactly but what you have to realize is like at the end of the day we could be advancing technologically at the highest rate you imaginable, but then all of a sudden the plug gets pulled and there's, you know what I mean? And solar flare, solar flare. Yeah. <laughs> all gone. And here we are. Agrarian back society. In, back returns. in our meat suits. Like yeah. <laughs> all we have here is survival. Like, you know, back to like ground zero again, um, because we become so attached to our technology and so um, reliant upon it for better and for worse. And mm-hmm. so what we like everything else, like it is ephemeral. It has a beginning and an end and it has a lot of vulnerabilities to it. Um, and so my my biggest concern with our obsession with the singularity, with transhumanism, with like all of those sort of like interesting ideas that a lot of techno futurists and tech you know technologists industrialists like think about is that but if the plug gets pulled if we lose all communication systems and electronic systems like what do we have and then we have nothing and then we have a bunch of people who don't even know how to how to feed themselves and you know that is that is definitely the case in a lot of uh you know I can speak for America here a lot of modern and in, industrialized 21st century America there's a lot of the world that will be fine, however, without technology, exactly. maybe even flourishing without it. 
But, um, you know, uh, I, I think another problem with philosophies like transhumanism, which is a kind of philosophy that incorporates technology, I think a problem that I see with it um, is that it doesn't have a spiritual dimension. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't have uh, any kind of um, allowance for things like paranormal phenomenon or, you know, visions or and the imagination or the imaginal, you know, yeah. um, and I, and that's, I think a reason why I'm actually skeptical about whether transhumanism or new tech, like AI tech is going to be able to progress on the track that it is because it seems too, um, embedded in a materialist worldview, yes. you know, and I think that might be what ends up slowing the gears on that at some yeah. point, you know, or maybe not, maybe it'll, yeah. it'll I mean, we're going to find computer. out ultimately, we're going to find out ultimately, but I think no matter what's happening on that end, I know you're going to continue to be painting and doing all the amazing things you're doing and yes. studying and learning and experiencing your own consciousness and exploring that and letting that be sort of like the impetus behind the creative act that moves yeah. through you. And when we see work that comes from those spaces, it's going to inspire us to think beyond the material, to think that there is mystery beyond. We can't, science can't know all the answers, never has, never will. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there's always going to be this piece of the pie missing unless you take initiative in your life to explore it for yourself, because Absolutely. that's the one thing we all have is a consciousness, a spirit, a soul, whatever we want to call it. Like we said earlier, words are limiting. They're not the thing itself. Don't mistake the word for the thing that we're speaking to, but we all have that. And so, you know, by the nature, we can explore that. We can expand that. We can come to understand it and know it in new novel ways that might benefit our lives for the better. And so I think at the end of the day, I know you do. And as I want to encourage everybody out there listening to explore your mind, explore your heart, explore your soul. There's much more than what we could ever understand going on around here. And don't forget that. Don't let the materialist take over your mind and, and negate your soul. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, a good uh, message to Yeah, man. I mean, it's a great conversation. With. I mean, we're a little over an hour. We're an hour and like eight minutes right now, which is awesome. Cool. And I feel like we could just talk keep going i mean there's probably there's so many like little rabbit holes it's like oh should we dive down that one? Oh, I let's know. go to this one but that's the beauty and nature of this kind of thing and uh, i'd imagine there's definitely going to be uh, more conversations in the future where we can maybe get more specific about a topic like i was saying earlier now that we've kind of opened the doors of communication we have this ground that we're working with we can continue to explore uh, moving into the future but um, just want to thank you so much for taking your time to be with me for sharing everything that you shared today. It was just a, a really incredible conversation. So, and Thank everybody so out much, there, uh, everybody out there who's listening, do not miss a chance to check out Alessandro's work. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Um, 
please check it out and see what we're talking about here. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll you'll have seen a bunch of paintings flash by through the course And if of you're this in New York, I have a solo show up right now at Waterhouse and Dodd in New York. Yes. How long does that until, show up for? It's up until June 22nd. So, so I don't know if this episode will release. Um, might be too then. late, but but yeah. it's all good. I know there's okay. going to be more shows. And when there are, I'll definitely be sharing them out Absolutely. for uh to to the audience of people who are listening. Um, but Thank you so much again for your time. And uh, I look forward to connecting more in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Martin. Thanks so much for inviting me to talk. Yeah, definitely. Talk soon, right? All right. Peace. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Concerning the Spiritual and Art. Um, if you like what you're listening to, please uh, leave a comment, uh, give me a rating on whatever podcast platform you're, you're tuning in on, and uh, get, help me get the word out. Share it with any friends or family, anyone you think might be interested in uh, what I'm doing over here. Super excited to bring a lot more of this content to you. I'm sending lots of love out to each and every one of you. Peace, y'all. <laughs>